love the slicker. We did 20 takes and that was the best one. That little thing reminds me of that dude from uh, Leonard Skinner. It's Aww. a very Leonard Skinner He's- lick. What's his name? Powell. Billy Powell. Yeah. The great Billy Powell. If you compare my piano playing to the great Billy Powell, then I'm just going to. That lick was that very just Billy made my Powell. day, buddy. <laughs> um, my clumsy well, piano playing. This is the backstory. And this is a podcast about songs that have uh, really amazing backstories. We hope that you don't know them. And I bet you don't know them as well as Chris if you do. Well, depends who you are. This one today is interesting because I've never even heard this song. I'm basically going to learn. You've never even heard it? I've never heard the song. I did zero research for this show. <laughs> this is your idea. Well, no, it was actually, well, yes, it was yes, my it, idea. This was your idea. But I cared so little about this song because of the, the title is terrible. The songwriter is a ding dong and, and a murderer. That's a, that's a really nice way of putting it. Yes. The guys on the ticket, the morning show, were talking about um, this one, and I was like, that's crazy, because you know Gordo's kind of obsessed with Charles Manson, and he said that he had written a song. I didn't even know he was really a musician, but I guess I kind of oh, yes. I, I did know that, and I had forgotten it. Musician, let's you know, it depends. Right, that's a very loose, very <clears throat> loose description. It's just a construct in your mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, this oh, song, Manson. yeah, this song is called "Never Learn Not to Love," made famous by the Beach Boys. And I want you to tell me how the hell they wound up playing and recording a Charles Manson song. Well, this is a fascinating story. And uh, a lot of it you already know because you know what happened with Charles Manson. What you don't know is what led up to that. (laughs) So anyway, this song is called Never Learn Not to Love. And it appeared for the first time, on a Beach Boys album called 2020. Uh, well, actually, it appeared for the first time as a B-side to a Beach Boys single called Bluebirds Over the Mountain in December of 1968. And the album 2020 that it appears on was released in February of 1969. This, of course, is about seven months before the world would come to know well, I guess it was a, a few. I guess it was even a few months before the world came to know who Charles Manson was. But uh, when things really came to a head. But anyway, all of this is because of the chance meeting between Charles Manson, who had been in prison for I don't know, like ten years or something, and had gotten out of prison and gone to California. Mm-hmm. And Dennis Wilson, the drummer for the, the drummer Beach Boys. for the Beach Boys. Okay, so Dennis Wilson, this dude. Yeah, what we, I know we about need to talk him, about Dennis a little bit because I, this is this is where it all starts. Well, what I know about him, um, besides that he's the drummer, is that without question is the best looking Beach Boy. Absolutely. So so here's where Dennis fits into the whole Beach Boys story. Dennis is the middle child. Brian was the oldest. Brian is the genius. Yeah. Carl was the youngest. Carl with the sweet, sweet voice. Well, Dennis was the self-proclaimed black sheep of the family. He was the middle child. He wasn't the natural musician. He took up the drums, and he was more of a quote-unquote basher than a 
real drummer. Right. Um, but he was, he was athletic. He was good looking. He was the the opposite of what Brian and Carl were, which were very introverted. You know, tubby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was maybe a, a little bit of a party animal. Yes, most definitely. And, and maybe only, why he, he he probably hit it off with Charles Manson. Yes, and that it's I mean it's a huge part of it. But so as time went on, you know, Dennis was forced into the Beach Boys by his uh, father Murray Murray, who managed them and was, by all accounts, a real asshole. Beat them. Mentally and physically abused them, per many, many accounts. Um, but Dennis was the one guy in the band who uh, was the real Beach Boy. Mm -hmm. Because the whole California myth that the Beach Boys created and perpetuated around their music, surfing, surfing USA, surfing safari, all of that surfing stuff... The Beach Boys didn't do any of that. Right. But Dennis did. Dennis yep. was the only real surfer in the band. He was the one who told them about the lifestyle. He was the one who said, you got to write a song about this. <clears throat> and then suddenly it became their thing. And they called that the California myth. And, you know, so it was. it's kind of been accepted for a long time that Dennis was the least talented of the Beach Boys. But as time went on, that... That was a blurred a little bit because he did do some really significant things, but uh, it was also very much overshadowed by what happened. <laughs> so let's start with the meeting between Dennis and Charles Manson. I'm going to take a guess that there is hitchhiking involved. <laughs> oh, that's a good guess, sir. So in the spring of 1968. The Beach Boys have been famous now for about uh, gee, six or seven, six years, something like that. I mean, they've they've had mountains and mountains of hit records. They've been on top of the world. They've gone through their whole drama with Pet Sounds, you know, the the masterpiece that was misunderstood and didn't sell well. That of course went on to be considered one of the greatest records ever made and then Good gravy and, and the the, the totally. smile album sessions of 66 and 67 good vibrations all the stuff where brian had his mental breakdown and you know like yeah. all of the drama of the beach boys brian was no longer touring brian got to a point where he couldn't really he couldn't really function publicly, but he was still, you know, a mm -hmm. genius. He yeah. still wanted to make the records. He still was writing songs, and but he was not contributing to the Beach Boys the way he had mm -hmm. in the early days and and at their absolute peak, which is around, you know, 66. So by 68, Dennis was trying to be a lot more involved in the Beach Boys. He wanted to sing more. He wanted to contribute songs. And they, you know, Brian was allowing that. You know, Brian's role was becoming a little bit more diminished because other people were pushing to, you know, I mean, Brian was just not capable of being the leader that he once was. Mm -hmm. So in the spring of 1968, Dennis Wilson's driving through Malibu. I knew it. And he picks up a couple girls hitchhiking. Now, this, of course... The whole Charles Manson story has been kind of strangely rewritten in this 
great Tarantino film called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which you've surely seen. That's kind of what gave me the idea. Yes, and 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 of course, Tarantino has a habit of rewriting history, rewriting endings, yeah. uh, which is interesting in its own way. But I, the, the scene where uh, Brad Pitt's character picks up the hitchhiker, mm-hmm. played by Margaret Qualley, yeah. that, that's what I, I always consider this the homage to that. Yes. Uh, the, or that being the homage to what really happened here, which was Dennis Wilson picking up a pair of young girls one of whom was Patricia Krenwinkel. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you know the story of the Manson murders, Patricia, Patricia, Big Patty is yeah, what they called Big her. Big Patty. Big Patty, a uh, big player. Yeah. Murderer. Yeah. Stabber. No. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Anyway, so Dennis picks up these girls and takes them back to his house and does what Dennis probably did. Party, party, drugs, sex, all of that stuff with these girls. Leaves them there and goes to a recording session with the Beach Boys. Right. Session goes all night. Comes back in the morning. And when he comes back to his house in the morning, there's this weird little dude standing in his driveway. Yeah. Charlie. Crazy. And so Dennis is like, okay, who are you? I'm Charlie. And then Dennis goes into his house and finds that there are all of these women, no, not women, girls, right, in his house, like it was basically the Manson family, insane. And so Dennis, they're all like, "Oh my God, we just we just met the Beach Boys. You've got to come over." Yeah, and 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 maybe they just thought maybe maybe Charlie immediately spied like here's somebody we can we can latch on to, and and you know he's you know he's just enough of a pushover or whatever that we can do this and right. which is which is kind of contrary to Dennis's personality because he was kind of the the boisterous uh you know the the more manly man of the beach boys right hard to believe that he could be uh persuaded to let 20 people come and take over his house but i guess when you put a bunch of drugs and sex in front of a guy like that he's probably thinking hey this Home is going to be great so yeah anyway Dennis and Charles become friends, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So over the next few months, uh, you got to wonder how crazy he really was at this point. Well, like, he, he had to he, have he, been batshit crazy. Well, well, there's, no, there's well, no question. See, I think the opposite. I feel like he had to have been batshit engaging. And, well, I and think that he endearing. was very persuasive. Yeah, persuasive, I think he, I think he was, I think he, like, You know he, how I David mean, Koresh? You've seen that movie well, that, of course. And, and, and he seemed like the most cool guy at the beginning. Well, like you could see how he could rope people I, in. I think it's. I think it's impressionable young minds and drugs. And, yeah. And 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 it's that it's that persuasive power. Like uh, he was able to. He was basically able to convince people to follow him and to and to buy into his view of the world, no matter how twisted it was. So over the next, you know, what, six months or seven months in 1968, all of these Manson family women, like young women, are living at Dennis Wilson's house and they're basically functioning as his servants. And 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 I don't know if that means prostitution or 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 what it is, but the estimates are that Dennis spent a hundred thousand dollars of his own money on 
this <laughs> on these that is people. and 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 one hundred percent prostitution. Yes, no, yes. There's most no definitely, gray but, but there area. had to have been other things too, like drugs and <laughs> and mm-hmm. who knows what else. But that's a hundred thousand dollars in 1968. That's like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars today. Yeah, like it, it's astonishing that that he could have spent that amount of money. And and you know his father Murray was <laughs> was quoted once as saying that Dennis was the greatest money waster. <laughs> Of all of the Beach Boys. But, you know, he had a ton of money. So he's living in this mansion in Pacific Palisades. The Manson family basically moves in and takes over his house. Now, during all of this, Dennis is somehow convinced that Charles Manson is going to be a star because he's a songwriter and he's uh, a singer. And and Dennis is like, hey, we got to sign, this, sign guy. this guy to our label because they've got their own brother's record label their little subsidiary subsidiary label and uh you know historians have speculated that dennis and charlie were friends because they both shared a common interest in doing music that was outside the lines of traditional form they, they were both interested not in pop music structure but in weird alternative arrangements for for songwriting, you know, like so there right. was some sort so of like common, you're gonna love my brother. Yeah, there's some sort of common. You like, you like weird music? Did you they, hear our last record? <laughs> <laughs> so this escalates to the point of Dennis Wilson paying for studio time for Charles Manson, and he introduces him around town Dude, to all these was, industry was, people. It sounds like to me, Dennis uh, was he like loaded or something? Because he yeah. loves blowing money. Y- yes, well, but I mean, the Beach Boys were making a ton of money at the time, and He's, I think he cer- certainly seems like he spends money on yes, dumb now, now, stuff. Yes, now whether or not he had accumulated a ton of debt, I'm, I'm not sure. I know that that, but but the money for the Beach Boys was always rolling in. I mean, it was, and and I, I've never really read stories about the Beach Boys getting hosed in their deals. I think that I think there was money. I think he had I think that, you know, they say that a boat is like the dumbest investment you can make. I think there's actually two more. Poontang <laughs> and Charles Manson recording <laughs> sessions. I mean you can't waste your money like you a, a boat that makes a boat a smart investment at that point. Yeah. Uh so 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 you know he's he's going around town introducing, hey man, it's my buddy Charlie. Yeah, to all these industry people, including Terry Melcher. And Melcher, of course, was the he was the architect of the California Sound. He was produced the Birds. You know, he produced Paul Revere and the Raiders. Like, he was a big gun. Yeah, and uh, all of this comes together with a series of recording sessions at Brian Wilson's house in Brian uh, Wilson's home studio. Brian Wilson. Yeah. Was he Bro- involved? Yes. Dude. Like, he what? recorded and this is the crazy part. They recorded a series of Charles Manson songs at Brian's home studio co-produced by Brian and Carl. Unbelievable. This is insane. And these are not demos. These are actual polished studio recordings including this song Never Learn Not to Love, which at that time was called Cease to Exist. Cease this, to Exist. The Charles Manson version of this song is called Cease to Exist. And uh, so according Is that an to, order? Yeah. It's uh, like it's, <laughs> so according to Beach Boys historians, these recordings exist still, but they will never 
see the ever, light of day ever be heard not yeah. a chance in hell according to these historians that they will ever ever see the light of day i mean maybe this is probably the perfect time to play the song and, uh, and well because... the real question is which one do you want to hear first you want to hear the manson version or do you want to hear the beach boys version because you kind of have to hear charles manson's original song okay let's you... listen to charles manson's version first okay Cease to exist Just come and say you love me Give up your world Come on, you can't be I'm your kind Oh, your kind I can see Walk on, walk on. I love you, pretty girl. My life is yours, and you can have my world. Never had a lesson I ever learned, but I know we all get our turn. I love you. Never learn. Not to love you Submission is a gift Go on, give it to your brother Love and understanding Is for one another I'm your kind I'm your kind I'm your brother I never had a lesson I ever learned but I know we all get our turn And I love you Never learn not to love you Never learn not to love you Never learn not to love you Okay, okay that was crazy. That, first of all, Seriously, musician? That's like just some of the worst guitar playing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, what, like, what? like that sounds like a third grade guitar student. <laughs> How Brian obviously had not heard that song before he agreed to record. Well, I, I, I think I think what happened was that Dennis came in and Dennis was so persuasive of like, hey, I want to work with Charlie on these things, and and he was willing to let Brian and Carl produce and do their lush arrangements and harmonies. I mean, surely they saw some red flags here, but they were just willing to go along with Dennis's enthusiasm at that point. Uh, and I mean, if there's one thing that you can maybe say about Manson, I mean, that song sucks. That's a, that's a shitty song. Like, there's nothing about that that makes me go, oh... Yeah, that's good. That could be a really great production. It's like, there's nothing there. The one thing that Manson has is a, a somewhat decent singing voice. Like, that's... it's, it's Sure, not, I'll yeah. give him that. Okay. Compared to the Beach Boys, well, hell no. Right, yeah, yeah. Of course not. So, but, but anyway, I guess maybe that was the one thing that could have been workable in this equation. So... Now let's hear the Beach Boys yes, version. Yes. So what we have to hear now is what it became. Actually, let me let's talk about it a little bit more before we play the song. Can we do All that? Right. Okay. Cuz Manson wanted the Beach Boys to record the song. Like he intended for them to record it cuz he, you know, cuz the the message in the lyrics was something about there there's there's some reference in there about that he thought, you know, the Beach Boys were having inner strife and that they can they can come together. Okay, so it's like there's a line that's like 
love and understand and give it to your brother. I'm your kind. I'm your brother. Like he thought that maybe that message would help heal or <laughs> yeah. as if they didn't already have songs that were infinitely better. <laughs> right. <laughs> but who knew he was such a Beach Boys homer? Yeah. So Dennis was the one who pushed and pushed for it. Mike Love claimed later on, of course, Mike Love is going to claim this, but he said, hey, yeah, I had no idea Charles Manson wrote that song. Dennis claimed to have written it. And so what happened was that Manson gave the song to Dennis in exchange for money that he was owed and a motorcycle. So basically what Dennis did was Dennis gave him about $100,000 worth of stuff in exchange for... For the rights to this song. He paid $100,000 for this shitty song. I mean, I, I don't understand. Wait, Charlie was owed? That's what's not clear. You it's said like, he was like, owed, well, so it, he gave something away? Well, but I, I, so the, what, the, what is written is that Dennis paid Charlie for the rights to the song. Okay. But, but also... There was some sort of implication that he had some sort of debt to Charlie at this point, like that Charlie was holding something over him. Wow. You know, and that could Golly. be any number of things. But Dennis really wanted to record this song. And Interesting. He, and he, so he paid Charles Manson for the rights to record this, gave him $100,000. And when they asked about it later, Dennis said uh, he didn't want credit. He wanted the money. He, he needed the money. He wanted money. So instead of the credit... I gave him the money, I gave him about $100,000 worth of stuff. And all through this, while they were putting the tracks together, like the instrumental tracks, you know, they had to make some uh, some changes in order to make it sound more like the Beach Boys. Right. And this does not sound like a Brian Wilson song at all. You know, right. Brian has a very signature melodic and harmonic style. So there are some Beach Boys elements in here, like the stacked vocals, but everything else is pretty mundane. Uh, but apparently during all of this recording, Dennis and Charlie were trying to insert little mantras and little repetitive things into the that, that, that the other guys didn't like. And, and Dennis was, Charlie this, Charlie that. You know, Al Jardine was quoted as saying, oh my God, when we were recording, Dennis was just Charlie this, Charlie that. Just, he was totally under Charlie's spell. That's just so crazy. So... What Dennis did with the song, and this is where the story turns, Dennis decided to rewrite a couple lines of the lyrics. He changed the title because the original title was Cease to Exist. And Dennis changed that opening line from Cease to Exist to Cease to Resist and added a new bridge to the song. And I and we can go ahead and listen to the song now. And and the part that Dennis added, the musical part with the bridge, is actually the only part of the song I like. <laughs> it starts creepy enough. Good God. Yeah. It sounds like the nightmare is getting ready to begin. You've never heard this? Uh, uh yeah. never heard it. Well, it's not one of the great Beach Boys songs. Let me tell you that. If you tune. Oh, the sleigh bells. This is already a thousand times better than Charles Manson's version. And that's Dennis Wilson singing lead. So, 
So the real question is, yeah, why did they record this? It's and not I, terrible. It's it, not I terrible, mean, but it, it's just... It sounds kind of Christmassy. Well, obviously, you've got those huge harmonies, you know? Yeah. Okay, now... Did, okay, so he sold him. He sold the so, rights. Did he so it it, it it says that. So listen, this next part is the part that Dennis added. That's the best part of the song right there. Dude, That's, he sounds a lot like Rivers Cuomo. Or Rivers sounds a lot like Dennis. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of those early Weezer songs have a very Beach Boys kind of sound to them. Totally. You know? So anyway, that's that's the song in a nutshell. You've got all these harmonies, which man, that's that makes it listenable. But it's a it's a very bland. Yeah, it's kind of uh, one chord. Yeah, it's unremarkable it's, song. Yeah, very unremarkable. Well, so okay, but question, wait a second. So you're saying on this record, it, it's credited as the songwriter as Dennis, so yes, he got the royalties. Yes, nobody knew this Did was a Charles Manson song Did he make back a hundred thousand dollars worth of royalties? Do you I think? Don't know. I'm not sure. Was it worth a good investment? I don't know. Now it Golly. was certainly not a good PR investment because eventually this, everything that happened took a huge toll on Dennis. But we'll talk about that. Yeah. The real question is, why did they record that song? It's not. It, I mean, how could that have been worth it? And the answer is that Dennis was just trying to get something on the table at that point. You know, he he wanted songs on the record. He wanted credit. He wanted songwriting credit. He wanted royalties. He wanted to play a bigger role. And I think that was a huge part hmm. of why he did that. He brought this to the table like, you know, this is Charlie's thing, but I'm going to take credit for it. I've changed it. I've rewritten some of the lyrics. I've added my own bridge. That is the Beach so Boys, whether backwards. The, whether the Beach Boys were on board with it or whether they were like, all right, fine, we'll go sing on this. And then, uh, you know, it's probably like any record and people were making it like, well, I like this song. I don't like that song. But they participated. Well, Manson was pissed. When he heard it? When he heard it, he flipped his shit. He couldn't believe that he changed lyrics, that he changed the arrangement, that he wrote new parts, changed the title. Like he was immediately incensed and furious at Dennis. And uh, this is where it gets crazy. The Manson family basically pushed Dennis Wilson out of his own house. Dennis started to see the writing on the wall that things were getting unhinged and there there are maybe a lot became of, afraid of the guy yes there are a lot of stories about what happened at the time now so so kind of when dennis moved out just things started to happen like they just he had a bunch of cars he had a ferrari he had a mercedes like they destroyed his cars like they were they Why were trashing he... his house. He he was clearly he had to have been afraid to a certain extent. Like what's yeah, but maybe they on. had something on him because I would have gone to the police. I, I'm sorry, yeah. I, uh, you just don't. Yeah, yeah, and so there's and and nobody really knows for sure, and that's that's another thing that 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 has been kind of reiterated. It's like there's a lot that hasn't been said about this that people are taken to the grave. Yeah, but it all it all comes to a head. With it, well, Mike Love claims that that Dennis told him that he witnessed Manson murder somebody with a with an M16, 
and then hide the body, and then he hid the body in a wall. Like Mike Love in his autobiography claimed that Dennis told him that. So apparently Dennis was really haunted by some crazy shit he had seen Charles Manson do at this point. And it all culminates with Manson apparently showing up and showing Dennis a bullet and saying, every time you look at this bullet, I want you to think about how nice it is that you're still safe and that your kids are still safe. If, if, if Dennis Wilson really saw a murder and he didn't fess up to that, that is proof, it's, right, that they had something on him. They had to have. And, and I mean, and surely there was an element of fear there. But as evidenced by the next part of the story, Dennis was a pretty tough dude. So when Manson, this is all according to Van Dyke Parks, who wrote a lot of the lyrics uh, during that era for the Beach Boys. When Manson showed up and showed him the bullet and made that threat, basically threatened his family and himself, Dennis beat the shit out of him. That, like that Dennis snapped. He grabbed him, threw him on the ground, just started beating the crap yeah. out of him. And, and, and how he didn't, <laughs> how that didn't, end really badly for Dennis? I don't know. That's wild. But, well, but somehow Dennis beat the shit out of Charles Manson and got away from him. You know, and, and, and Van Dyke Parks was saying, you know, Dennis was not afraid of anybody. But he had to have had some element of fear of Manson because at that point he cut all ties. Like he, and, and the album had already come out. Like this album came out in February of, or uh, in February of 1969. So by... By the middle of the year, when the Manson family stuff is really starting to swell up, right? You know, August, August is when the the Tate LaBianca murders happened. Right, right. Of which Patricia Krenwinkel was a huge player. <laughs> so, all of this leads up to the murders in August of 1969, Tate LaBianca murders, and apparently. Manson went to Dennis after this and told him I had just that he'd just been to the moon and demanded money. And Dennis was so freaked out and so scared that he gave him money. I don't know how much money he gave him. But then I've been to the moon. Oh, you killed people. What's that, Lassie? <laughs> Somebody's tracked in the well? You killed people. Yeah. A bunch of people. And good uh, gravy. So so it's a horrific story. Um of course, a couple months later. Manson is arrested. The whole thing becomes worldwide news. And I bet Dennis, Dennis was shitting his pants. He was. He was caught in the middle of it, and he was he refused to testify initially. Uh, but but then he was privately interviewed by the prosecutor, Vincent Bugliosi. Famous and, dude. I, yeah. That guy's Mr. Famous lawyer man. But but ultimately Dennis's testimony was deemed uh inconsequential or inessential. Uh, because other people who had already testified basically had corroborated his claims, so it wasn't like Dennis needed. Yeah. They didn't really need Dennis's thing. Yeah, but uh, the the whole thing uh, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. The public, I, I I can't remember who the record label is, but in some weird attempt to capitalize on his fame, some label released an album of Manson's songs in 1970. Like less than a year after this, they released this album called 
Lie, the terror, the love and terror cult. It's an album, and it's all of Manson's. So, so that version that we just listened to of Charles Manson's version of that song is on that album. That is, it insanity. is a Charles Manson album that they put out. Like anybody was gonna buy, and of course it didn't sell well because who the fuck's gonna listen to that? No, bloody shameful. Yeah, it is. Uh, and and the crazy thing is that the song becomes. It's it's now far more notorious because of its because of its Charles Manson connection uh, than it is for the song itself. It's a very average song. None of the Beach Boys had any. None of the Beach Boys fans had any idea about this until it became public knowledge in the aftermath of the Manson murders and the trial and all of that. And this haunted Dennis for years and years. And I, I years. would say so. <clears throat> I'm sure the drugs and alcohol probably, I mean, he, he didn't he die? What happened to him after all this? Yeah, so Dennis uh, tried to pursue an acting career briefly. He was in a movie called Tulane Blacktop with James Taylor. Uh, like that, I, I don't, that didn't really ever take off. Yeah. Um, you know, he stayed in the Beach Boys. He continued to make records mm-hmm. with the Beach Boys, but Dennis was really haunted by uh all of this that had happened with Manson and, you know, he just spiraled out of control with drugs and alcohol. He was doing cocaine and heroin. And, um, he, uh, apparently there's a story that says that he co-wrote or had a huge hand in the writing of the song, you are so beautiful. And I think, was it Billy Preston who wrote that song? I think it's Billy Preston, but, but there is a, there's a story that Dennis had a, part in that but was was not credited for it um that's an interesting thing because i could kind of hear dennis's gruff voice <laughs> handling that as as the 70s wore on dennis's singing voice kind of became more and more grizzled and <laughs> and raw and uh, one thing that is really noteworthy is that he spent a lot of time and effort on a solo album that came out in 1977 called Pacific Ocean Blue, and dude, it's a pretty killer record. It's not flawless by any means, it, but it but it has some real ragged charm. There's some good songs on it, and the, you've probably heard the first song on the record called River Song because yes. it's been featured in movies. And yes, I know that track. Yes, and I recognize that album cover. Yes, uh, and uh, and that has gone on to have a cult following. You know, that's that is a cult fan favorite record um i just discovered it uh, maybe a dozen or so years ago and i i dig that record yeah you know I'll like i said it's not flawless out. but it is a uh, an inspired okay, so i've just i i i, I was <clears throat> and brian wilson i was too, it too excited to find out how he died mm-hmm. so i looked it up on the internet and i can't believe what i'm reading here <laughs> so this yes. dude is <laughs> on a boat looking for items that he himself threw off the boat yes. three years earlier during yeah. his divorce. Yes. So, so this and is he 19- dives off the boat yeah. and doesn't come back up. Yeah. So this is 1983. This is 14 years after the Manson thing. Dennis has lived through the seventies. He's, you know, basically been, he's 39 years old. He's only 39. Looks like he's about 50. You know, I mean, it's it's a hard 39. And, you know, he had gone through a terrible divorce. He's still having serious problems with drugs and alcohol. He's in Marina Del Rey on his boat. 
He'd been drinking all day, and apparently he'd been diving and looking for all these items that he'd thrown off the boat. Insane. Yeah. It, that is just crazy. Like, Another maritime disaster. I unbelievable. Mean, I, and and so I I, I can't I was, believe that. I was under the impression that he had that he dove into the water and like hit his head on a rock or something. Um but I read somewhere that it was a blackout. Like he had some sort of conf- uh, there's a word for it and I'm totally drawn a blank on what it is. Um but it was a dis- like a disoriented blackout underwater and he drowned. That is crazy, dude. And I'm sure all of the drugs and alcohol didn't yeah, help. No, of course. But uh, a tragic end uh, to a very interesting character who was probably the most, <laughs> who probably saw more crazy shit than any of the other Beach Boys guys. You know, when you look at all those different guys, the brothers and the cousins and the sidemen and everybody in the Beach Boys story, Dennis's story is. Wheels off. Easily the most insane of yeah, all of them. that is wheels off. And the fact that he recorded a Charles Manson song, called it his own, <laughs> and recorded it with one of the most he famous He wants a redo on that. Oh, man. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can't even believe we're laughing about it, because it's just like, Jesus. It really is crazy, though. Like, it, Charles Manson, imagine if, uh, one of, imagine if one of your bands, if the Slack played a David Koresh original. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and, and that's what makes, you know, if you remember in 1993, Guns N' Roses, when they're, they're when they're the biggest band in the world, you know, 93, there was mm-hmm. no bigger band on the planet, maybe Nirvana. <laughs> no, but, I mean, no. I mean, GNR was GNR. as big as anybody in the world at that point. Yeah. And they recorded a covers album, a much maligned covers album called The Spaghetti Incident. And on that record, they recorded a song called Look at Your Game Girl which was also a Charles Manson song. And there was a whole lot of publicity about it. And I'm not even sure if it was on the record or if it was a B-side from the record. Either way, it was recorded during those sessions, I think. I think it was on the record, actually. I'm I'm not going to lie. I am not... I don't listen to that record. <laughs> no, no, I remember that record. <laughs> but, and remember but they going... got a, remember they got a whole lot of publicity over recording a Charles Manson song. And I'm thinking... Because I didn't know the whole story about the Beach Boys at the time. Like, I didn't realize the mm-hmm. whole history of it. It's like, man, that's just redundant. Dude, Dennis Wilson beat you to that. If they did that today, they'd get canceled. <laughs> yeah. Dennis Wilson beat you to that 20 years ago, bro. Dude. <laughs> so, well, uh, yeah. So, look at this. We actually got an entire podcast out of your joke that we're going to talk about a Charles Manson song. That's right. We actually, we actually managed to have an entire podcast about this. Impressive, impressive stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, well, well let's uh, let's think of another song for next week. I, I really, again, I said I did no pr- uh, prep for this this show, and that includes next not time, let's knowing pick what one we're going to we, do. Let's pick a good song next time. <laughs> exactly. It was time. We had just done so many good songs. It was time for a dud. <laughs> um. So what about what? Ab- okay, here's one. What about Gimme Shelter? Okay, that's that's that that yeah, that, that's a oh man, that's a good one right there. Okay, let's do "Gimme Shelter" one, next one week. One of the one of the great opening tracks of any opening track on a record ever. Okay, that's the one. Okay, good call. All right, dude. I'm well, I'll see you next week. Later.